The book of Romans is one of the most complete books of the Bible. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to continue. Please follow along. We're going to read the first, uh, I believe, six or seven verses of Romans chapter 1. And then we're going to do a little recap on what we learned last week, just a short one. And then we're going to dig in as we continue to work our way through this book. I want to encourage you here and you listening around the world online. If there's any book of the Bible to pay attention to where you want to know about who Christ is, beside the book of John, if you want to get a good underpinning and grounding of the fundamentals of the faith, I encourage you, study the book of Romans. Okay, it's just really replete and packed with all the nectar of what you need to understand this Christ. So let me start out. I'm going to read verses 1 through verse 7. And you can follow on in the overhead. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, how? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, writing concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Yes, we have the empty tomb, church. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for Christ's namesake, his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's writing to believers. He's writing to that small church there in Rome. He's writing to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, the set-apart ones. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you can see how Christ is co-eternal and co-equal with the Father. So let's put up slide three. Let's kind of like walk through this. We're going to do a little quick recap of Romans 1. Romans 1, Paul, a bondservant, a doulos. You see that word there? It's a Greek word, doulos. So Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus. Kletos, he's called. An apostolos, an apostle. And we looked at this word, aphorismos, set apart. For the, and there's that very important word, God, the eugalion, the gospel of God. So Paul is a bondservant of Christ. He calls himself that first. Then he's called as an apostle, and he's set apart for the gospel of God. So just a quick recap there. Paul, being a bondservant, a doulos, we learn that that word really means slave. We learn that a slave didn't have, he didn't own anything. Everything he had was the property of his master. The clothes, he himself was the property of his master. Every seventh year, he could have been sent away or, you know, being called free, but he chose to stay with his master. And we asked ourselves the question, are we slaves of Christ? Does everything you do, is it done in such a way that Christ gets the honor and the glory from your wallet to the things you watch 
to the things you put in your body? Is it all done in such a way that he, who gives you every breath and me, every breath that we have, is it done in such a way that he receives the glory? Paul had declared his lifelong and undying loyalty to Christ, his master. He became a slave, but get this, to the only master who could provide him with freedom and forgiveness from sin. Then Paul moved on, and he called himself an apostolos. And we really dug in deep, and we looked at the qualifications of an apostle. We wanted to understand the importance of this calling. And we had learned from the scriptures, a plethora of scriptures, that there are no modern-day apostles, because as the Bible teaches us, an apostle meant that that person had to have seen the risen Lord. And we saw from the scriptures that apostles were given the authority to decide with regard to the teaching and the doctrines because they spoke with authority from Christ himself. And we also learned that the apostles and the prophets, as the Bible teaches us, were the foundation of the church. That foundation has been laid. You don't keep putting a foundation on top of a foundation. And finally, we learned since we now have the completed canon of scriptures, the 66 canonical books of scriptures are sufficient, there's no need for modern-day apostles and prophets. And then finally, we looked at the third word in here, set apart. And we learned what this word means. This is the word where we get our English word horizon from. Paul was placed on a different horizon to preach God's life-giving word among the Gentiles. So, Paul, church, in this first verse, has made it clear that God had separated him to preach his life-giving word among the Gentiles. And obviously, that's a radical change, a new horizon. So Paul wanted this church in Rome that he was writing to to understand what Paul meant when he said that he was set apart. Paul was called by Christ himself long beforehand to be an apostle, long before he was born, as we looked and saw from the scriptures. <clears throat> he was a slave of Christ. And again, this shows us the wonderful sovereignty of God. You see, church, it was an essential part of God's eternal purpose and foreknowledge and counsel. And then we saw how he completed the words for the EU Galeon, the gospel, the good news of God. Put up slide four. Let me ask you some questions as we dig in. These are important questions. I want you to look at these questions. Ask yourself these questions, church, this morning. How does the gospel impact or even influence your everyday walk? You get up in the morning. You do what you do each day. Ask yourself, how often does that gospel influence and impact your everyday walk? Does it show up in the way you talk to people? Does it show up in your conduct? Do people want to know more about who Christ is because of the way you walk? So does the gospel impact that? How does it impact the way you speak to other people? Boy, it got quiet in here again, Dr. Carter. How does it impact the way you talk? Does it have church? Ask yourself, does it have any influence on you at all? Here, more importantly, is do you believe it when you hear it? Listen, 
I can tell you this. We all, myself, all of us, need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves throughout each day. Put up slide five. I like Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones. How about this? This is what he says about the Eugalia and the gospel. It ought to be impossible for us to use the word gospel without bursting forth into a hymn or praise or thanksgiving. Do you thank him for saving you? Ask yourself that. Someday, you and I, we're all going to draw our last breath. Are you thankful that he shed that blood on that crimson, that crimson blood on that cross of Calvary for you? So what do we see going on here? What's Paul doing? If we're not careful, church, we could gloss right over it. Through the next verses, Paul is actually going to be introducing to his readers the doctrine of the Trinity. Church, without even realizing it, we can so often overlook the role of the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit's involvement in the gospel. Remember, the whole Godhead, the whole Godhead was involved in this good news. Notice in verse 2 what he says. Put up slide 6. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets, notice that's plural, in his holy scriptures. He promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures. Again, the prophets, the apostles were the foundation of the church. And this promise is revealed where? What's it say? Holy scriptures, right? Think about it. So let's do this. What comes to your mind when you hear the word promise? Now think deeply about that. Again, if a 12-year-old came up and he tugged on your dress or your coat and he said, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, I need to make a definition of this word for school tomorrow. What is your working definition of the word promise? Think about it. We just don't want to gloss over words. What comes to your mind when you hear it? Our Webster's Dictionary defines the word promise as to make a solemn declaration of intent. I wanted to know what Paul meant when he used the word pro-epigloma. That is the Greek word for our English word promise. What did he mean? It's actually two Greek words. The word pro basically means before. Epikoloma means to offer oneself for a responsibility. To offer oneself for a responsibility. So this was pro. So this, this offering of a responsibility was promised beforehand. Think about that. And it's revealed in the scriptures. So how was this done? It was done through the prophets, as you can see, in the Holy Scriptures. Where then are these promises found in the Old Testament? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's awesome. Slide 7. Let's travel back in time to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. All the way back in time to the very first book of the Bible. Where is this showing up? I don't have time to read the whole story, but, you know, here God is talking directly to Satan in this verse. And he's saying, Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to put that enmity between your seed and her seed. 
He shall bruise you on the head, Satan. You shall bruise him on the heel. Again, notice his statement, his statement that God himself is making directly to Satan. So that word enmity, what does that word mean in Hebrew? It means to be an enemy of. It means hostility. God wanted Satan to full well know that there would be an ongoing, continuing hostility between the woman, her offspring, and Satan himself. Of course, her first offering was Cain and Abel, then all of mankind, up through Christ. But notice something else he says. Your seed, meaning Satan's seed. Again, he's speaking to Satan. Who are Satan's seed? Well, obviously it includes the demons, but church, it also includes anyone who is serving Satan's kingdom. Anyone who served Satan's kingdom. Ask yourself, if you're preaching the gospel throughout yourself every day, are you in God's kingdom? Who are you serving? Slide 8. Well, let's, let's look at proof text. How about John 8, 44? Here Jesus is rebuking the Jews. And I would read, if you want to read the whole story here, it's John 8, 31 through 44. But Jesus responding to them says, you are of your father, the devil. Why? Well, how does that show up? You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now think about that. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Have we murdered anybody with our words lately? Assassinated their character? Think about the words that Jesus, when he was talking to the Jews. Have you ever thought about or reflected on what pleases Satan? You know, we can come to church, we can act really religious. We can say all the religious things. Hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? And we could be sitting here right now or you around the world and not be saved. Don't think for a minute because you drop some coins in a plate or you show up at church that you're saved. You are not saved because you go to church or, you know, help an old lady across the street or put money in the collection boxes at the Wawa. You're saved only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. Don't let any false prophet tell you that you got to work or earn your way or be good enough to get in heaven because I can tell you right now, especially for my own life, you never will. I know that's an unquestion, that, that's a tough question, but, you know, I thought about it. Am I doing any behaviors that bring pleasure to the devil? Am I doing anything that makes him happy? Tough questions. I know it's an uncomfortable questions, but you know, let's examine ourselves. How about slide nine? How about Matthew thirteen thirty-eight? <clears throat> More about the seed. The field is the cosmos, the world. As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. Consider the corrupt nature of man. How about slide 9? How about Mark 7, 21 and 22? For from 
within, coming out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murder, adultery. Yeah, let's call it what it is. We don't, we, people like to use the word affairs. No. Adultery. Deeds of coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Take a good look at that list, church. Out of the heart of men, evil thoughts. I looked at this list and I said, how many of them can I check off that I have done just in the past 24 hours? Thank God for the cross. All wicked practices are traced all the way down to the heart of man. That's this, this heart church that was made according, uh, Thomas Boston says, that was made according to God's own heart is the reverse of it. The heart is a storehouse of evil imagination, inordinate affections, corruption, being ingrained and interwoven with our very nature and rooted in our hearts until, church, hear me, the grace of our living God changes our heart. He takes out that rock, stony heart and gives you a pliable heart of flesh. So then, we see that the hostility spoken of in Genesis 3.15, we see that running throughout all of Scripture. But let's finish up with the final statement in Genesis 3.15. Because we are looking at the prophecies promised beforehand by the prophets. The last part of Genesis 3.15. He shall bruise you on the head. Jesus is going to bruise Satan on the head. And you shall bruise Jesus on the heel. Now keep in mind that this conflict was between the woman... In the Hebrew, that's the Ish, or the Ishna. Man is the Ish, woman is the Ishna. Her offspring. The conflict is between her offspring and Satan's offspring. What can, we, what can we glean out of this prophecy? So we know that he spoken of here is Jesus bruising Satan's head. See, I believe the idea here is that Christ destroys Satan's power and lordship over those that are saved. You see, church, this prophet he spoke to Satan reveals God's divine authority and his sovereign grace. The woman gives her affection and her allegiance as well as her friendship to Satan. So then God, by placing this hostility between her and Satan and his sovereignty and grace, what does it do? It changes her allegiance from Satan to God. It seems then that the hostility towards Satan reorients her heart towards God with a love for him and a desire for an intimate relationship with him. When you come to faith in Christ, your allegiance changes from the world to be a slave of Christ. Ask yourself, where's your allegiance right now? Think about the past 24 hours of your life. What did it reveal where your affections were at? What does it reveal about your walk with Lord? So this pronouncement in Genesis 3.15 is what we call a proto-evangelistic statement or the first gospel message all the way back in Genesis 3.15. You can find Christ all the way throughout all of the scriptures. 
It's kind of neat here how God works. This spoken beforehand extends church from Eve to all future generations throughout history. Let me give you a couple more verses. What are some of the prophecies concerning this gospel of God, this good news found in the Old Testament? Where else do we have them? Slide 10. How about Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6? Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called. Yahweh our righteousness, or Jehovah Sadikanu. Christ is our righteousness. Listen, you and I need to understand, we don't have a righteousness on our, own, on our own. There's no act by which you can make yourself right with God on your own. Right. It's not going to happen. Without Christ, without God the Holy Spirit quickening your spirit, waking you up, you will not be saved. Right. So the Lord is our righteousness. This is all the way back in Jeremiah 23. And we'll look at more of that when we get to uh, Romans 3. So we see the prophecy that Christ would be born of a virgin. How about slide 11? How about Isaiah 7:14? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. She's going to bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Is that powerful? Slide 11 also, Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathoth, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me. Notice the one in the mere capital. One will go forth for me to be a ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, the days of eternity. See, we seem to think that it all began when God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus has always existed with God the Father from all eternity past. You need to understand something. There was never a time when Christ did not exist. It's very, and and, and I, I, it spells it out for us right here. From the days of eternity, church. There are many other scriptures concerning the coming of Christ in the Old Testament. But unfortunately, we've got to move on. How about slide 12? Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here Paul reveals to us the gospel, and he starts to unpack the Trinity. Look at those words, concerning whose son? Concerning his son. Whose son? God the Father's son. What did Paul say about this? Slide 13, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. So first, what do we see? We see God the Father's role in sending us the Son. Then he says, Who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power 
by the resurrection from the dead. Now we see the Son. Slide 13 still, 2 Timothy 2.8. Paul speaking to Timothy says this. He says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. So you see the Father, then you see the Son. He finishes up according to the spirit of holiness, right? Romans 1, 4. We do not often give much credit to the Father and God the Holy Spirit's role in the gospel. And yet, church, it is the gospel in which God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit are concerned and involved with. It was an awesome work of all three persons of the Godhead who have taken part in this plan. So we, re -need, we need to remember that Paul, again, he's writing under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's no accident that this is here. What do we glean from this text? This, this gospel of God, which was promised beforehand, as verses 1 and 2 have taught you and I, which reveals to us the Trinity found in verses 3 and 4. It is the work of the three persons of the Trinity. It is the work of the Father who sends the Son, and it was his plan. He was the one that gave us his promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15. You see God the Father there. You see him here in the book of Romans. This plan originated with the Father, and we must never overlook this. How about slide 14? This is the verse you should circle, highlight in your Bible, underline, put stars around. By this, the love of God was revealed. Where was it revealed? What's it say? In us. God has sent his only begotten son, the monogenes, the one and only, one of a kind, the, the monogenes, the only begotten son, into the world so that you and I might live through him. Have you ever asked yourself, what does that mean? What does that mean that we might live through him? See, we, we live in a country where we think that everything should be revolving around us. It's me and everything revolves around me. Yet this verse says, through him. We might live through him. Your responsibility each day is to put Christ on full display in the lives of the people he brings into your life. That is your function as a slave, as a Christian, as a doulos. Do they want to know more about who Jesus is because they see you living a lot differently than you used to live before you claimed you got saved? God's love is revealed in us. Is it really revealed in you and I? He sent his, his, you know, that's where we get our English word, that only God's where we get the word unique from. There's no one else like Jesus, church. Believe me, there's no one else like him. Christ went through great pains to teach us this truth. How about Jesus' own words? Slide 14 still. John 5, 37. I love this. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Again, God is a spirit. John 8, 18 and 19. The ego of me, I am he who testifies about myself. And the Father who sent me 
testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where's your dad? Where's your father, Jesus? You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. How about John 17, 3 and 4, slide 16. Another verse that you should underline, highlight, put stars around. This is eternal life. That you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There is no eternal life in any other name on the face of this globe from the very first human born to the last one that will be here. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. So what do we glean from all this? And this is kind of heavy. I'm just trying to unpack it as simple for you as I can. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father. He was given the work to do by the Father. He was sustained and enabled to accomplish this work by God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' own words makes it very clear to us that it was the Father who sent him, and he came to glorify the Father. How about you and I? How about us? Church, that was the center and purpose of Jesus' life and mission the 33-plus years he was here on earth. Think deeply with me about this. The gospel message to us is that God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Where does it say that? I'm glad you asked again. Yeah. Slide 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and verse 21. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That mediator, Christ, is what reconciles you and I back to the Father. You see that? Not counting their trespasses against them. He committed to you and I this word of reconciliation. So how did the Father do that? Well, he tells us in verse 21. He, that's the Father, made him, that's his son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you understand that? Do you see that, church? That's what we, I taught you probably a year now, what perichoresis means. Perichoresis is this, this, this teaching. God the Father was completely and fully, as you just read, in the Son. The Son is fully and completely, 100%, in the Father. God the Holy Spirit is 100% completely and fully in Christ, and Christ is fully and completely in God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is completely in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is completely in Christ. You have one God. We are mon one God, church, not three. One God, a triunity, co-equal, co-eternal, having the same substance in nature. You have one God. He's revealed to you and I through Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again. And then when he went up, he said, I'm going to send you a paraclete, another one. That's the Holy Spirit who will be in you. Stop walking around like you're powerless. This, this isn't a joke. This is God's word. It's telling us this. So the scriptures are clear on this matter. What is the purpose of our salvation? It's to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Everything Jesus did was done to bring glory to the Father. Here's the question. Are we doing that? Does the way you and I live, does the way we conduct ourselves, does our behavior glorify the Father? Or did Jesus say, you are your father of the devil? How about slide 18? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? What's it say? Lord God. Whatever you eat, whatever you put in your body, are you thanking him for the food that he gives you? Sincerely thanking him. How about Colossians 3.17, still slide 18. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Boy, that's a tough one. Whatever you do in word or deed. Now think about your words and deeds over the past 24 or 48 hours. Was it all done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving thanks to him? really quiets us down when we start to apply scripture to our life. You know how you start to realize you're saved? When your mouth is stopped and you realize you have no righteousness of your own. You have no act of your own to make yourself right with God. That's when you know that the Holy Spirit's working in you. When you realize that you are a filthy sinner and in desperate need of a Savior. I'm just preaching what the text says, church. Slide 19. We see the Holy Spirit's role was to enable the Son after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you just imagine what that must have I just can't even imagine that. That's just like mind-blowing. Slide 20. John 1, 32 and 33. John testified 7, saying... I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, remaining upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In slide 21, Jesus teaches this. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he, he gives the Spirit without measure. I beg you and plead with you, please open up and read your Bible. I've said it a million times. The Holy Spirit never works independently from the Word. Please open your Bibles. Please read them. Please study them. You never know who you're going to run into, and the words you speak may be the words that God uses to turn them to Christ. We need to love people enough to do that, don't we? So we see that all three persons of the Trinity are involved in God's plan of salvation. It would seem then that Paul uses the word gospel as he has done here in verse 1. He's thinking of all three persons of the Trinity. That's what's going through his mind. This, this gospel, church, this gospel is a mighty work of, of, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, whereby a person is saved. Here we see all three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. I call it a triunity. And Paul was very concerned that everyone comes to understand this message which the Lord gave him to preach. Again, slide 21, the gospel of God concerning his son. 
Acts 17.3. Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Hear me this morning. I'm almost done. It was this good news that you and I have read that had been prophesied about, that had been promised about what God had done long ago. And we need to pay more careful attention to it. I'm fully convinced that Paul wanted us to understand that the truths he was preaching to the believers in this little church in Rome were prophesied and predicted long ago, all the way back in Genesis 3.15. God used the prophets of long ago as his special servants to proclaim the revelations concerning the things that were going to occur. And God gave the prophets the revelation of these truths to be inscripturated. He showed them his plan. But it's also important to also note that God inspired and controlled them. Church, it was God the Holy Spirit that carried them along. God is the one that gave the information. He is the one who gave them the ability to express it and put it down. Paul, as well as Peter, in his epistle, wanted us to know that this is not something that was penned by human effort. A lot of atheists, a lot of people say, well, the Bible was written by man. You haven't read your Bible then. These are not man's ideas, but God's ideas. These men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Where does it say that in Scripture? Again, I'm glad you asked. Slide 22. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Know this first of all, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit breathed out of him what he wanted these men to put in what we now have, we call our Bible. These are not man's ideas. He used man's style of vernacular of that day so we as humans could kind of understand it. But God told them what to write so that we would have God's completed, inspired, immutable, revealed word to us. Again, I'm going to say it again. You can trust your Bible. And if you're not reading it, I'm going to say it again. You are robbing yourself of the wisdom and blessing that comes from reading the scriptures. I'm not asking you guys to do 25 years in seminary, but for, 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 but is God worth five minutes? Just to crack open and read one chapter of Proverbs or read one, one chapter of John. Well, think about it. Why is it okay that people can watch 25 to 30 hours a week of TV and have mind-numbing TV, stuffing cheaters down their face, but they can't give God five minutes a day? I know I ain't talking to any of you. I'm sure you're all, you're all sanctified. But think about it. We give the television and the radio. We'll sit there all day long and, and you know, just, just get fat on the land. But why can't, what, what makes it so hard to sit there and crack open the Bible? Does somebody weld it shut with a welding gun or something? I mean, what is so hard about just opening it up and saying, you know, let me hear what God wants to say to me today. Because when you read your Bible, God's talking to you. Think it, think it through, church. It's a good news. 
So, as I close, Paul was telling us that these men were inspired. He noted that we have this we have the inspired scriptures. So we do not have modern-day prophets and apostles anymore because as the Bible says, forgive me, I'm insignificant, the Bible says that they were the foundation of the church. Another point to make is that these scriptures we have are not any ordinary writings. And Paul makes it clear that they belong to God because they belong to the Holy Spirit and the Father. They were written under the guidance and influence of God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something for yourselves today. Again, especially young people, they think they're going to live forever. I know when I was 20, I thought I was invincible. Now that I'm 60, I'm like, <laughs> what an idiot I was. But I'm going to tell you something. As you get older, you start to realize that the days ahead are much less than the days behind. Uh, and some of you that may not, not going to have, some of you may live to be 300, I don't know. But I want you to be thinking about this. Someday you are going to drop dead. Someday you are not going to wake up here ever again. You might be in the hospital, they're going to hit you with the paddles, and it ain't going to happen. Here's the question. If everything that I just revealed to you in here is true, if everything I have said in here is true, here's the question I want to ask you. What are you going to do? If God is real, and I believe and know with every fiber of my being God's real, but God's got to reveal to you that he's real. If he's real and you stand before him and he opens up that videotape and he starts to play back your life, ask yourself this. Is there enough evidence over your lifespan to send you to hell? One sin keeps you out of heaven. One. It is appointed for a human being to die and then the judgment. It is appointed once. For a human being to die and then the judgment. Please understand this. There's no second chance. When you drop dead, and if God is real and everything he said in his word is real, he says it, not me. I'm insignificant. It is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. Have you ever asked yourself these questions? Have you ever told a lie in your entire life? What do we call a person that tells a lie? We call him a liar. Have you ever, it doesn't matter if it's expensive or inexpensive, taken something at any time in your life that didn't belong to you? What do we call somebody that steals? We call them a thief. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? Okay. Think about it. So by your own admission, if you were standing before Holy God on Judgment Day, would you be guilty or innocent? If you ever told a lie or took something that didn't belong to you or used God's name as a word, you're guilty. Church, what is the job of a judge? The job of a judge is to mete out justice, right? If somebody did something really bad to somebody in your family and you're sitting in the courtroom, I'm sure that you would want the judge to make sure that person paid for what they did wrong. Am I right or wrong? So God's job is this. He can't let sin into heaven. So if you've ever lied, cheated, taken something that doesn't belong to you, used God's name as a cuss word, coveted something, broken any of the Ten Commandments, you are guilty. That means the Bible says the payment for sin is death. Being eternally separated from God for all eternity. Hell is not going to be where you're sitting on a beachfront property with other sinners, sipping minty juleps in Southern Comfort, sucking on cigarettes and going, oh, this is really cool. I promise you, read your Bible. That is not the way it's going to be. That's not the way it's going to be, church. 
you need to understand this. Someday you are going to drop dead and you are not going to get a second chance. The only way that you will ever step into glory is through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the application of that blood to your life. And the way that happens is by faith. By you placing your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you on your behalf. Remember what I taught you last week? Every sinful, rotten, putrid thing that you've ever done has now been placed on Christ. And his perfect life of righteousness and obedience has now been credited to your account. So you can enter into glory, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because of what Christ did on your behalf. That is the only way you're going to enter into heaven. So you better start thinking and paying attention to your life, how you're living these last days. And let me tell you something, the way the world's going, I don't think we got a lot of time left. I can tell you right now, I'm surprised we're still here. Christ could come back at any time now. And in case you want to know, things are not going to get better. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe all the hype. You know, the government can throw free money at you all the time, but I can promise you things are not going to get better. If you don't believe me, go home and just open up and read Matthew chapter 24. It's like, it's like watching News Nation live in real time. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. I don't believe in the sinner's prayer because I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. You don't pray some prayer and you get saved. I want you to be thinking about this right now. If you were to drop dead this afternoon and you were to stand before Holy God and Holy God was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? Would, would, it, would, it be, would it be this? Would it be this? Um, excuse me, wait a minute, God. i got to be on my cell phone. i got somebody texting me right now, Lord. i got to Facebook you right now, Lord. Uh, wait, wait, God. You wait over there until I'm done with my thing. This is serious business. I don't want to see any souls burning in hell for all eternity. And it's going to happen. Because people are too busy trying to, to, to you know, self-medicate and be happy about themselves without ever thinking about the circumstances of the life with God. I know this is not fun and easy. But with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you were to drop dead today and you were to stand before the holy living God and he was to ask you, why should I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? There's only one right answer to that question, church. You listening around the world, there's one answer. Father, your son died for me. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. I do not deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to even be anywhere near heaven. But I have placed my faith and trust in what Jesus did on that cross. When that blood was spilled. By the way, blood was spilled in Jethamine in the garden. When they were tearing his flesh apart at that beating stone and he was chained up and they were taking that flagellum and they were throwing it across his back and tearing his flesh off his body, blood was spilled there. When they nailed him to the cross, blood was spilled there. Blood was spilled! It was spilled, church, for you and me. I should have been at that whipping stone, not Christ. I don't deserve anything he did for me. Do you deserve anything he did for you? I want to encourage you now is the time to get right with God. If you are living in sin, if you are doing things that you know that dishonor the Lord, I'm going to ask you to repent. 
That means confess your sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. Confess your sin. And if the Holy Spirit has woken you up, I'm going to encourage you to place your faith and trust in what he has accomplished for you by bleeding and dying on that cross to wash away your sin. By the way, the very blood that was in Christ was the blood of God, Acts 20, 28. One drop of that blood would have been enough to wash mankind clean. Now is the time for you to get right with God. Now you have the opportunity today to change your lifestyle, to walk with him. Get plugged into a Bible church. It doesn't have to be ours. Get plugged into a church where the Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. And place your faith and trust in him. And Father, thank you again. Thank you for shedding that crimson blood on that cross of Calvary. Thank you for loving us enough that you would call us your bride. Lord, our, our, our wedding gowns are tainted with sin right now. Our wedding gowns are tainted with sin, Lord. Wash them clean.